Let us pray. Lord God, may your word be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. The Old Testament reading comes from Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Listen for the word of the Lord. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received. How long, Lord, must I call for help? But you do not listen. Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. I will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. Then the Lord replied, write down the revelation and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. It is indeed an honor and a privilege to be back in the house of the Lord and feeling well. Today's uh, New Testament scripture comes from the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. Listen for the word of the Lord. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. The Lord replied, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not say rather to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron and serve me while I eat and drink. Later, you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, we are worthless slaves, we have done only what we ought to have done. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, use me as your vessel to speak your truth. 
Be present with us through the power of your Holy Spirit. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This text this morning is difficult because it talks about the master-slave relationship. Slavery is a difficult topic of discussion no matter how you chop it up. But first let me say that slavery, no matter when it happened or happens in the continuum of God's history, is bad. But what I like about this passage in Luke 17, 5 through 10, is Jesus uses the context of life back then to teach his apostles as well as to teach his believers today a lesson in faith. Let us set the stage before we dive into the text. Jesus was always in teacher mode, and even more so as he drew ever near to the cross. In the third gospel, we find Jesus teaching his disciples and the crowds following him as well as Pharisees. Last Sunday, Reverend Scholler preached from Luke uh, chapter 16, 19 through 31, the parable of the rich man and the beggar, where Jesus taught the Pharisees that their wealth was not evidence of their righteousness. In fact, it's quite the opposite. In the afterlife, Reverend Scholler pointed out, everything gets flipped upside down. The rich are poor, the poor are rich. There is heaven and hell and a great chasm that divides them. Lazarus, poor in human life, is rich in eternal life and seated at the same table. The rich man, wealthy in human life, is burning for an eternity in an unquenchable fire. Those of us following the lectionary recognize the gap in the text from last week where we finished Luke chapter 16 and, the, and where we start today at verse 5 in Luke 17, skipping over the first four verses. It is important to note that the first four verses in chapter 17 teach valuable lessons on the importance of not causing others to sin rebuking sin, and forgiving those who sin against us. These lessons are important in the big picture, Jesus' teachings on faith and discipleship. Jesus was on the road towards the cross, teaching those with ears to hear and understand the parables filled with great truths of implications on how we are to live for Jesus, a Christ-like life. Now, in today's text, verse 5, the apostles want Jesus to increase their faith. What's going on here? Why do the disciples suddenly need or feel the need to increase their faith? Previously, at the beginning of chapter 17, Jesus said to his disciples, occasions for sin are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea than for you to cause one of these little ones to sin. Be 
on your guard. If a brother or sister sins, you must rebuke the offender, and if there is repentance, you must forgive. And if the same person sins against you seven times a day and turns back to you seven times and says, I repent, you must forgive. The weight of those four verses was probably too much for the apostles to handle. Increase our faith! Luke refers to apostles, and especially Lord, with great frequency, but only here does he combine the two titles. Ironically, where the disciples are canonized as apostles of the Lord, there they become aware of their deficits. Their faith was dwindling. But Jesus did not fulfill their request for increased faith. Jesus seized the teachable moment and provided the illustration we see in verse 6. If you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed and it would happen. This is such a powerful illustration because a mustard seed is so very tiny, like the size of the head of a straight pin. On the other hand, the apostles were well aware of the fact that uprooting a mulberry tree was nearly impossible because its roots are deep and vast. In verse 6, I imagine Jesus thinking, come on, have a little faith. Jesus was trying to get his apostles to understand that just a little faith, genuine faith, in him makes the impossible possible. Brothers and sisters, have you ever struggled with forgiveness? I know I have. I struggle greatly. And as the young folks say out there, my struggle was real. Someone who I thought was a friend burned me in an investment, and I swore I would never do business with that person again. It was my philosophy. Uh, uh, my philosophy became, you burn me once, but never again. I was bitter. I went around telling everyone I knew, don't do business with that person because that person is a get-over artist. I was so bitter. I was so hurt, so consumed by the past betrayal that I literally carried it everywhere with me, like a dead weight weighing down and smothering my good spirit. Today, I thank God for the power of forgiveness through Jesus Christ. When I learned to forgive, it felt like a weight was lifted off of my shoulders. I realized I didn't have to carry all of that anger, all of that resentment around me day in and day out. I could just give it to God and God would deal with it. Jesus doesn't stop at verse 6. He went on in verses 7 and 10 using the context of the Greco-Roman society. Despite contemporary readers' sensitization to the horrors of chattel slavery, Jesus is no stranger to telling stories about slaves and masters as a part of the Greco-Roman social world. 
These stories of relationships serve to illustrate relationships of faith. Who among you would say to your slave who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field, come here at once and take your place at the table. Would you not rather say to him, prepare supper for me, put on your apron, serve me while I eat and drink, later you may eat and drink. Do you thank the slave for doing what was commanded? Jesus posed the questions to his disciples, placing them in the master's context, knowing that his apostles were fully aware that as the master, the expectation is for the slave to complete the extra request as part of the slave's duty. The slave should not expect to receive special reward for complying with what was required of their household status. Jesus concluded this passage by flipping the script in verse 10 and putting his apostles in the context of the slave, saying, So you also, when you have done all that you were ordered to do, say, We are worthless slaves. We have done only what we ought to have done. In a story steeped in slave culture, Jesus indicts the disciples for expecting any reward, even the reward of increased faith. With this metaphor, Jesus teaches the disciples that the reward for ministry well done is simply the opportunity to do more work. Brothers and sisters, it is our responsibility to be faithful and humble servants of God as disciples, spreading the good news of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. 1 Corinthians tells us in chapter 9, verses 16 through 18, I, if I proclaim the gospel, this gives me no ground for boasting, for an obligation is laid on me. And woe to me if I do not proclaim that gospel. For if I do this on my own will, I have a wage. But if I do not do this of my own will, I am entrusted with a commission. What then is my wage? Just this, that in my proclamation I may make the gospel free of charge so as not to make full use of my rights in the gospel. Friends in Christ, how much faith, genuine faith, do you have? How many times have you expected to be noticed or rewarded in your service to God? Is it realistic to serve God and not expect the reward? And if so, how do you do it? There was a time in my faith journey where I was busy, busy attending every church activity and participating in every ministry that I could. Our children were young then, and the question every Sunday was, why are we always leaving church last? At one point, I was a Sunday school teacher, a deacon, an active member of the women's circle, the youth group co-chair, and the troop leader for the Girl Scout troop at church. 
We were always at church. I was busy for the Lord, and yes, a little piece of me expected to be rewarded for it. Maybe, quite possibly, a big piece of me. I wanted to be recognized for all that I was doing, all the service to the Lord. Then I was paired with an elder one Sunday. It was a first Sunday. I was paired with that elder for visitation and to serve communion to the homebound. I was changed forever. That Sunday, I remember feeling tired, yet renewed by the experience. The conversations were great. We served communion, we sang songs, we laughed, and even cried on some visits. Our homebound members were so grateful for the visit. And while I was tired at the end of the day, I had an overwhelming sense of reward from the experience. In my experience, I found that God's work is far more rewarding when done in faith and humbleness. Just take one day at a time. Pace yourself. Humble your heart and have a little faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Beloved, if you want the assurance of the kingdom of God, all that is required is to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Jesus' church is open to all, and if you are searching for a church where you can participate in the life and body of Christ, Pastor Calvin and myself are here to talk with you after worship. We want to make sure that whether it's here or somewhere else, you find the church that is right for you. To God be the glory.